All right, all right. Thanks for joining me on this episode of The Gospel Truth. I'm your host, Marlon Wilson, and I thank you for joining me. I am excited to be back before you. It has been like two weeks or so since the last time we have been on a live stream. I'm sorry for that. Uh, one reason why we have not been on a live stream is because I got the stomach bug on the same day that I was supposed to do a live stream with Pastor Luke Pearson uh, concerning wokeism, wokeism in the church. So I got laid out. I was laid out in the bed for a while, quite some time. Uh, recovering from that and then another reason uh, was because of scheduling conflictions uh, you know that stuff happens man and so we wasn't able to go stream so I've been gone for two weeks but I'm glad to be back with you and as always if you're new to this channel make sure you subscribe to the gospel truth and hit that notification bell so you don't miss out on any shows debates interviews or anything that coming up here in the future you want to be, be locked in with the gospel truth and the only way you can do that is by subscribing and hitting that notification bell uh all this content in different fashions should i say is on other platforms facebook twitter instagram and tiktok not only on youtube so make sure that you uh go to these other platforms and hit that subscribe button or follow button on those platforms uh, if you're interested i really would like to get the TikTok, uh, TikTok followers up so I can actually do little quick live streams on there too. So if you have yet to do so, make sure you flow over there and follow on TikTok. Also, all this content is also on straight up audio on a podcast. So if you don't know, now you know. So make sure you flow over there as well to the podcast and subscribe and follow with the podcast. All right. As always, I do have some shows coming up here in the future that I do want everyone to be aware of. All right. Coming up after this debate uh, next week. I have uh, a two-on-two debate. I have Mayor Kaiser, Tony Nash, Bo, and Dominique. This is, once again, uh, what we're having today is sort of open theist type of debate, but we're having, this is going to be an open theist debate two-on-two as well. Um, so this is going to be a fun debate as well. Two-on-two is always fun, so I hope you're looking out for that one. After that, I have a, high, a highly anticipated debate between Sarah from Hamilton and Anthony Rogers, Justification by Faith Alone. So if you have yet to do so, make sure you hit that, uh, that notification bell for this debate uh, if you have yet to do so, so you don't miss out when, the, when, it show, when it comes on, so you get that notification when it comes on, all right? After that, I have an exciting, I think, uh, an exciting show for you coming up at the end of March. Uh, this is going to be Jason Lau and Dr. Marcus Ross. So Dr. Jason Lau and Dr. Marcus Ross. And they're going to be answering some of your uh, YEC questions, Young Earth Creation questions. So if you are looking forward, you have a lot of questions built up, just some concerns. Even if you disagree with the Young Earth Creation position, you can join on this live stream, on that live stream, and ask these guys any questions you want concerning Young Earth creation. So make sure that you do that, because I am looking forward to it. I hope you are too. Then after that, I have another two-on-two -two debate. This would be some Trinitarians against some Unitarians, and it should be a fun one, right? Once again, another two-on-two -two debate. Jesus is Yahweh. So hopefully you're looking forward to that one. And lastly, I'm continuously beating this drum. We are trying to raise funds for media equipment for the gospel truth. We like to try to take this show on the road as we've done before, but sometimes some venues do not have the equipment that we desire, high quality cameras, high quality auto, audio. So if you feel that God is putting on your heart to support the ministry with supporting uh, this fundraiser, you can look down in the description of this video and you can find a link to the fundraiser. So please do that if you feel so, if you feel so motivated to do so. So please do that, all right? All right, that's all the announcements, uh, quite a bit of announcements that I had here. So I am excited for this debate for, uh, for, for a number of reasons, right? This is always a hot topic, right? And this is different. Usually 
this debate entails a Calvinist, an Arminian, or a Calvinist, and an open theist. You know, the, 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 the idea of God being free, if he knows all things, he has true knowledge, he has exhaustive knowledge of all things that are coming in the future. Usually, this is not an Armenian open theist. Well, it is, but those positions are usually not on the forefront. It's usually a, a hard, rigid, determinist Calvinist, a uh, five-pointer, either up to bat against an Armenian or an open theist, man. So... Today's a special one. We have an Armenian and an open theist, and they are going to battle it out. I don't know if I should say dynamic omniscience or open theist. I think they're sort of synonymous if you ask me, but nonetheless, nonetheless, uh, this is going to be a fun debate. So both of these guys have been on before. David Pound has been on. Josh Hink has been on before. It's been a while for Josh Hink, man. Josh Hink, I think he came on almost two years ago. I think it's been. And David Poundman just came on last month. So both of these guys have been on. So let me bring these guys in so they can introduce themselves. What's up, fellas? How y'all doing? Doing well. How are you, Marlon? What's up, guys? Doing, How you doing? Doing good, man. Glad you guys joined me, man. This has uh, been a while uh, since I had you mm -hmm. on, Josh, man. So why don't you take some time, allow you to introduce yourself. So why don't you take some time, tell everybody what you've been up to. And uh, tell them where you're at right now, man. I think everybody be interested to see where you're at right now. You see you're in the cab of a truck. So I'm going to give you time to introduce yourself. Go ahead and yeah. do that, Josh. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm in the back of my truck. I am driving regional right now. Unfortunately, not really the best area to be doing a debate from. Uh, you guys can hear me, right? Yep. Okay, just making sure. And, yeah, it's been a while since I've been on here. A couple of years ago, I did a debate with my friend Matt Solly against two Calvinists, uh, David Lewis and Derek Morrell, and we debated whether Calvinism causes atheism. Well, it was late; it was later renamed to "Creates Unbelievers," but whatever. Anyways, I've just been, you know, it was a rough year, 2021, and I'm not going to go into details. It's just I need time to recover from it. And I got back into my theology stuff. And at the time I was defending, like, I wasn't a Molinist, but I defended middle knowledge. But then over the course of the last several months of listening to Warren McGrew and seeing the other arguments of things that boggled in the back of my mind, I turned to open theism. And if you want to see more of my content, do you mind if I tell them a little bit about my content? Yeah, go ahead. Yep. So I go by rapper Chaos or Chaos in Order on TikTok. I share videos about theology. I share rap videos and all kinds of different stuff if you want to check out my content. But that basically sums up what I've been up to the last couple of years. All right, cool. I'm glad you made, was able to recover and uh, get everything taken care of and make it back on. All right, thank you, Josh. All right, David, you're up next. Why don't you go ahead and let, let everybody know what you've been up to. And let them know about yourself, David. Tell them what you do. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've kind of been a little more active in the online uh, apologetosphere, as I call it. Um, and so, you know, uh, people might know me on YouTube through my YouTube channel, Faith Because of Reason, uh, and perhaps uh, through some of my debates on uh, Calvinism and Arminianism. This will be my first time kind of dipping my toes into the, the open theist um debate, but um, it's a related topic and kind of one I've had an interest in for a while, but just never one that I've actually uh, debated like this before. 
But uh, yeah, no, uh, nothing too special about me. Uh, I'm just a, a theology nerd, uh, you know, not, not, not formally trained in uh, any of the disciplines, just take a, a layman's interest in them. Uh, I'm a student of uh, theology uh, in seminary, and I uh, have, um, you know, also am involved in the atheism debate as well. And uh, I'm a member of the Society of Evangelical Arminians, which isn't to say that all of the views that I put forward here are, you know, representative of the society, but um, just, you know, another thing about me. So uh, yeah, that's a little about me. All right. All right. Good stuff, guys. Thank you so much once again for coming on. So let's get into this debate. Once again, the topic of this debate is can God know the future and still be free? David, you're arguing the affirmative. Joshua arguing the negative in this topic. So we're going to start it off with 10-minute opening statements. Then we're going to have five-minute rebuttals. And then we're going to have a 40-minute open discussion. You guys will be able to hash out your differences there. And then we're going to uh, go into a five-minute closing and there's a 30-minute Q&A from the audience. Sounds good? Sounds good. All right. All right, starting off, David, you're up first for your 10-minute opening statement. And I will start your time as soon as you begin to speak. Excellent. All right, so uh, I think it'll be helpful if I begin by laying out some of the history which led up to this debate. So as many of you may know, I'm a classical Arminian. I maintain the traditional view that God knows the future in its entirety. However, I'm also someone who takes open theism seriously, and it's entirely possible that I may someday switch sides and become an open theist. Um, but one argument which open theists commonly use, and which I've just never found persuasive, is an argument according to which if God has certain knowledge of the future, then this somehow precludes free will. Uh, and this would not merely apply to humans, of course, but it would also apply to God himself. God could not have free will. So uh, I should probably clarify at this point that Josh and myself are going to be speaking of free will in the contra-causal or libertarian sense throughout this debate. So I'll have to apologize to my uh, compatibilist friends there. Um, as I mentioned, I have some sympathy towards the open theist position. While I think it faces some scriptural challenges, I don't think that scripture like definitively rules it out. Uh, I'd express some of my open theist leanings on Facebook, and Josh took it upon himself to inquire further. And so initially things started out as a series of direct messages uh, just between the two of us. Uh, he was looking into my reasons for considering open theism and was wondering why I didn't buy this particular argument for the incompatibility of foreknowledge and free will. So we went back and forth for a bit and we finally agreed to debate the issue live. So that's sort of the background of how this debate came to be. And uh, here we are. So uh, as I already indicated, the argument which we are concerned with in this debate is roughly that one cannot have free will in the sense of being able to do otherwise if their future actions are already known with certainty. But how exactly is this conclusion being reached? Well, the argument is perhaps best formalized by the open theist philosopher, William Hasker. He gives a version of this argument which goes as follows. Uh, premise one, it is now true that I will have a cheese omelet for breakfast tomorrow. Two, it is impossible that God should at any time believe anything false or fail to believe anything which is true. Three, therefore God has always believed that I will have a cheese omelet for breakfast tomorrow. Four, if God has always believed a certain thing, it is not in my power to bring it about that God has not always believed that thing. Five, therefore, it is not in my power to bring it about that God has not always believed that I will have a cheese omelet for breakfast tomorrow. 
Six, it is not possible for it to be true both that God has always believed that I will have a cheese omelet for breakfast tomorrow and that I do not in fact have one. Conclusion, therefore it is not in my power to refrain from having a cheese omelet for breakfast tomorrow. Now in this debate, I'm gonna uh, defend two basic contentions. So first, that arguments of this sort do not succeed if we accept the thesis that the content of God's foreknowledge of future free actions is contingent. And second, I'll maintain that there are undesirable entailments which follow from a rejection of the thesis that the content of God's knowledge of future free actions is contingent, and that should in turn motivate us to accept that thesis. So my response to Hasker's argument begins by drawing what I take to be a vital distinction between certainty and necessity. Now, Josh has told me in the past that he can't see a difference between these notions, so I'm going to take great pains to make the distinction as clear as possible. First, certainty refers to the subjective level of justification which one has for believing some proposition to be true when that justification guarantees the truth of the proposition. Necessity refers to the inability for something to be other than it is, and as applied to truth, it refers to the inability for some proposition to be false. Now, a proposition can be both certain and necessary. Take, for example, the proposition 2 plus 2 equals 4. It's necessarily true, and I know it to be true with certainty. However, not all certainties are necessary, and not all necessary truths are certain. For example, I know with certainty that I presently have a visual experience of a computer screen. But although this proposition is certain, it is also contingent. It's not as though it was impossible for me to be viewing a red car or a blue flower instead. Thus, even though I know that the proposition that I presently have a visual experience of a computer screen is true with certainty, it is a contingently true proposition. Similarly, the proposition 941,338 divided by 76 equals 12,386.02631578947 is necessarily true given the rules of mathematics. Yet most of us don't know this to be true with certainty because we simply aren't at the same time directly acquainted with all the necessary equations and relations which are necessary to infer that conclusion. So consequently, we can see that the notions of certainty and necessity can come apart. They are not the same thing. Okay, so now that we have this distinction clearly in hand, we're in a position to see why it's relevant to the question of God's foreknowledge and freedom. God's foreknowledge uh, is certain. And I just lost my place in my notes, so I'm sorry about that. Okay, God's foreknowledge is certain. The truth of it is evidentially guaranteed, but the content of God's knowledge of future free actions is contingent. Things do not have to go the way that God believes that they will go. Human beings and God himself retain the ability to act differently than they do. So this just entails that they do not have to act the way that God believes that they will act. The potentially objectionable implication of this model, which I'm proposing, is that it means that it is in fact possible for God to be wrong about what he believes will happen. If God believes that I will eat a cheese omelet for breakfast tomorrow, I still have the ability to choose to eat cereal instead, which means that I have the ability to make God's belief false. Crucially, however, I maintain that this possibility is never actualized. God is never actually wrong about what he believes will happen in the future. This model allows us to reject premises two and six of Hasker's argument and thereby to avoid the conclusion. 
so long as we are willing to accept the conclusion that God can possibly, but never actually, be wrong about what he believes, then we have no difficulty at all in maintaining that God can both know the future and remain free. Thus, I conclude the defense of my first contention. Now, during our private exchange, it became very evident that Josh and I had a major disagreement with respect to the content of God's knowledge. I maintain that at least some of the content of God's knowledge is contingent, whereas Josh claims that the content of God's knowledge is necessary, for otherwise God could be wrong, and this would mean that it's possible for God not to be omniscient. But since God is necessarily omniscient, according to Josh, therefore God's knowledge must be true necessarily. I want to briefly develop an argument to motivate Josh and the audience to reject this notion that the content of God's knowledge must necessarily be true and accept that at least some of it is contingently true. Remember, I'm not arguing that God's beliefs are ever untrue. Rather, I'm saying that some of these beliefs are contingently true as opposed to being necessarily true. A proposition is true if it corresponds to a fact. If the fact is necessary, then so is the truth of the proposition which corresponds to it. If the fact is contingent, so is the truth of the proposition which corresponds to it. God, being omniscient, will have knowledge of all facts. So if there are any contingent facts at all, then at least some of God's knowledge will be contingent. If you believe in contracausal free will, then you believe that the choices which we make are contingent rather than necessary. Now, I know that Josh does believe this. Therefore, he's committed to the existence of contingent facts. Furthermore, he believes that God knows these contingent facts. Therefore, he is committed to believing that at least some of God's knowledge is contingent. To maintain that all of the content of God's knowledge is necessary is just to say that all facts are necessary. And this is just necessitarianism. So to the extent that we don't want to be necessitarians, we ought to reject Josh's model of omniscience. In conclusion, I have argued for two theses. First, I contended that the arguments attempting to show that one cannot have free will if their future actions are already known with certainty turn on a confusion of certainty and necessity. Such arguments do not succeed if we accept the thesis that the content of God's knowledge of future free actions is contingent. Second, I argued that a rejection of this thesis leads to necessitarianism, which is incompatible with other beliefs which my opponent will want to retain. As such, the only escape for him is to accept that some of God's knowledge is contingent, and this undercuts his ability to maintain that one cannot have free will if their futures are already known with certainty. And of course, the same will apply to God. It undercuts his ability to maintain that God cannot have free will if his own future actions are known to him with certainty. All right. Thank you, David, for that opening statement. All right, Josh, you're up next for your opening statement. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, okay. Go ahead. I'm ready. All right. I stopped the clock when you begin to speak. All right. Well, so first, I want to begin by saying, you know, I'm really glad to be on here. I'm thankful to Marlon for having me on here. It's been a while, as I said earlier. And for David for having this conversation with me. I think this is going to be quite interesting. Now, I will say, though, he mentioned in his opening statement that I do seem to affirm that God's knowledge is necessary or however he said it. Actually, I just want to clear this up real quick, and then I'll save the rest of my issues for the rebuttal. I just want to make this one point clear. I agree that God's knowledge is contingent in the reality, the past and the present, and that's why God exhaustively knows the past and the present, because he's witnessed it and so forth. And 
of course, you know, God's view, I, I take the view of dynamic omniscience, which is that the, that the, that the future is partially open and partially closed. And so as a result, that's how God knows it is partially closed and partially settled. I mean, partially open. Now, um, the thing I could say is my view is that dynamic omniscience avoids necessitarianism while also prevents God from ever being wrong because, as David accepted, he believes that God could be wrong but just doesn't believe that that is ever actualized. Now, I don't agree with that. I don't believe the idea is possible and I think dynamic omniscience is the best way to go about it. Now, why do I believe that God cannot be free if he has exhaustive foreknowledge of the future? Well, I've held almost every view of of omniscience except for the Augustinian Calvinist view. Other than that, I've held pretty much every view. I've held simple foreknowledge and I've held middle knowledge. And for a while, I even affirmed the B theory of time because I thought that would fix the problem of it because it would allow for the future to be um, actualized and real as well as allow God for, for God to be able to know it and avoid determinism. But then I saw that it may not actually fix the problem of determinism, but then it creates an entirely new problem. Now, I don't know if David believes in the B theory or A theory, but this is just one thing that kind of led me on the road to open theism, which is that one of the best ways I think to fix it was the B theory actually doesn't fix it at all. And a common thing that I was often told and I often defended for quite a while was the idea that knowledge does not in and of itself stand in causal relation. This is a popular objection by philosophers like William Lane Craig and many others who believe in middle knowledge or simple foreknowledge. As I have seen that while it is true that knowledge does not stand in causal relation, the problem is it doesn't fix the core problem. Every resolved issue has a, resol has a resolver or at least something that makes it resolved. And the problem is middle knowledge may not, does not have the power to shift the resolving issue away from God. And, of course, I also believe there are scriptural issues with it, like when God said to Jonah that because Nineveh had had obeyed and they had repented of their sins, God changed his mind and chose to not bring the wrath he originally intended on them. In simple foreknowledge views, well, God had always known from the beginning that Nineveh was going to obey. He, he knew that they were going to repent. And this is the view in simple foreknowledge, middle knowledge, and the Calvinist view. So it doesn't really matter if you're an Arminian, if you're a Calvinist, or whatever. If you believe this, well then, you would have to say that God never actually intended to bring his wrath down on Nineveh. Instead, he had always planned to never bring it. And so as a result, you would have to say God was either a liar or, at best, deceptive. Now, the problem I have with David's view, and I actually have a lot of respect for David, and I believe 
even go as far as to say he has a lot more knowledge than I do in this whole thing, but that's not going to stop me from trying. Um, what I will say is the problem with his view is he believes it's causally open, but it's epistemically closed. But the thing is, the law of non-contradiction, which is one of the three laws of logic, the law of non-contradiction, the law of identity, and the law of excluded middle. Almost forgot. And the law of non-contradiction says A cannot be A and non-A at the same time and in the same sense. So if you say that it's epistemically closed, but you say that it's causally open, you're in a sense, you have to say that it's open and not open simultaneously. Because if you say that event X will happen, that is a resolved issue. If you say that God could stop X from happening, that is not a resolved issue. That is unresolved. And when I was talking to David in the DM, as he mentioned earlier, uh, another thing that I found interesting was I asked David, you believe that God could change his mind. I mean, he could do differently than what he foreknew, but he simply chooses not to do so. Well, what if he actually did, hypothetically speaking? And he agreed, if God were to actually do different than what he foreknew, then that would create contradiction because he would agree that, he agreed that it, you would have to say that premise one, that event X will happen, and then you would have to affirm that God has made it to where event X will not happen. So I would argue just as we would argue, because God is a necessary being, he does not have the power to take himself out of existence. God also doesn't have the power to sin or do something sinful or tempt people with sin because he is a morally perfect being, because it contradicts his nature. If God does not have the power to act differently than according to what he foreknows, then to say that he has the ability but not the that he has the freedom and power to do it, but does not have the ability to carry it out without causing contradiction, well, if then it doesn't really make sense to say that he has the power and freedom to do it if he can't do it without causing contradiction. And that's just one of many problems that I can bring up to the whole thing, but I'd rather save the rest of what I'm doing for the crossfire or discussion time. So I think I will go ahead and end what I'm saying there and be done for now. All right. Thank you so much, uh, Josh. I appreciate that opening statement. So now we're going to jump into our rebuttal round. David, you are back in the seat. So once again, these are five minute rebuttals. And David, I'll start your time. Uh, hold on. Let me pull this time down and pull up my other one real quick. Where my five minute timer at? Hold on, guys. Oh, there it is. All right. Yeah. All right, David. I will start your time when you begin to speak. All righty. Um, let's see. So he began by saying that um, he thinks that the future is partially open and partially closed, and that God knows the future that way um and that god like knows the future as partially open and partially closed I, I would be curious to know and perhaps i can ask him this in our um kind of in our uh 
interaction later on. But I'm curious, what he, what he means, you know, when he says that God knows the open parts of the future, um, because you know, to my as I've understood the open theist or the, the dynamic omniscience position, it is that uh, the open parts of the future are the parts that are not known to God. Um, so I, I'm not sure what he means when he says that, you know, God knows uh, the future as open and closed, and perhaps he can clarify that. Um, he said that uh, God can't be free if God knows the future, and uh, he says that, you know, on the basis that he's held every position on this issue. Uh, unfortunately, he didn't, and perhaps he just didn't have time, but, you know, he didn't explain his rationale for why he's rejected all the other positions on this. Um, he did discuss the middle knowledge position, um, but that's not really germane to this debate, as I don't, I don't hold the middle knowledge position. Uh, he offered, you know, a biblical argument for open theism. Uh, I think there are good ways to um, respond to that uh, on, you know, traditional or engrafts. Um, but again, that's that's not the topic of this debate, so I'm not. Um, yeah, I'll just I'll forego the biblical discussion. Um, his main objection, or the main argument against my position that I heard presented, was. Um, that my position somehow violates the law of non-contradiction. Now, he did give a correct statement of the law of non-contradiction, and I'm, I'm going to give it again just so we have it clearly in mind, right? The law of non-contradiction states that two contradictory propositions cannot be true at the same time, and get this, in the same sense. Now, he says, on my view, the future is causally open, which, which is true, right? I, I don't believe that um, everything that happens in the future is necessary or guaranteed. Uh, I think that there um, is room for contra-causal free actions, which uh, that is a person who, uh, at the same time and being in the same uh, mental state, same frame of mind, could nevertheless act in different ways. That That is the uh, theory of free will that I would embrace. Uh, so the future is causally open in that sense because agents have that sort of uh, contra-causal free will, that ability to do otherwise. Um, but then he says, I believe it's epistemically closed, by which I assume he thinks means, uh, or which I assume he's defining that as uh, known to God. Uh, that is also true. Um, but crucially, these are different senses. So I don't see how I'm in violation of the law of non-contradiction, right? I say that something... Uh, Two contradictory propositions can't be true at the same time and in the same sense. Uh, causally open and epistemically closed are, are different senses. So um, I'm not sure what contradiction, what, what two contradictory propositions he thinks that uh, I am affirming in the same sense. Uh, he'd have to clarify because at least by my lights, um, he himself gave the distinction uh, and that these are very different senses of the term. Uh, finally, on this point about um, God existing necessarily, uh, I agree that God exists necessarily. I don't think that this in any way means that God acts necessarily, and it sounded to me like Josh's argument entails that God's actions uh, are also necessary because he's a necessary being, and that simply doesn't follow. God's necessity applies to his existence. It doesn't apply to what God does. Um, that's all I have uh, in the way of a rebuttal there. All right, thank you so much. All right, Josh, you're back up. Uh, let me pull you in. All right, Josh, you're back uh, up. And, hold on, let me right, stop this, this time. Yeah, this is that's much better. Yeah, yeah, I just don't want to be delayed, especially when we get to open discussion. We got to delay, man, so it's gonna be terrible. So, uh, hopefully, it works out, doesn't get delayed anymore, but. I'll, uh, this is a rebuttal round, so I'll start your time when you begin to speak. 
Okay, I'm ready. Go. Um, unfortunately, I couldn't quite hear everything because I had to log out and log back in due to the delay, unfortunately. So I'll probably just go ahead and ask him more about what he said in the rebuttal round. But anyways, to clarify a little bit more, when I said that God knows the future as partially settled and partially open, when I said that, I basically mean that God knows the closed parts of the future as a closed statement, but he also knows the open parts of the future as an open statement. So basically, he just knows it for what it is. This is an open truth that's not settled yet. This is a closed truth that is settled and stuff like that. Um, as for his idea, the reason why I said it was a contradiction is because Sometimes there can look like there is a distinction between two terms, but when you apply them consistency, consistently, there isn't always a meaningful difference. Sometimes there's a terminological difference, but a terminological difference isn't always doesn't always really entail a difference between the two. Like uh, there's different forms of the Trinity, for example. There's social trinitarianism. There's Latin Trinitarianism. There's the one I personally affirm, monarchical Trinitarianism, um, and so forth. But the thing is, there's a distinction in how they view the Trinity, but in reality, as far as I know, they all say the same thing, which is that God is three distinct persons who share the same divine essence. So in this case, epistemically closed but causally open, I don't see how you can say that it's epistemically closed yet say causally open it doesn't seem to fit it doesn't seem to have any meaningful distinction but of course the problem with that i would like to get to in the crossfire but for now i will say just because there's like two different terms and how they mean something that doesn't always make the distinction between them meaningful. If they can apply equally in the same context, then this distinction doesn't really mean much. And I think that's about all I can do for the rebuttal round. I'd rather get into the discussion and discuss the problems there. All right. Sounds good. All right. No problem. So yeah, that's what we're about to do. We're about to get into this open discussion. And once again, this is a 40 minute open discussion. So I'll be stepping out. The only time I interrupt, if I hear you guys being rude with each other, man, you don't want to see the side of me. Uh, when you guys are being rude, you don't want to see my, my rough side. All right. So be good. Nah, right, we're going to jump into this uh, 40 minute discussion, guys. You guys have the floor and uh, you guys got it. We don't want to see your right. totally depraved side, Marlon. Oh, you don't. You sure don't. <laughs> you, sh you sure don't. <laughs> uh, you don't want to see my side. Anyways, <laughs> David, why don't you go first? Well, I mean, I think this is this is open discussion, right, Marlon? It is. Well, yeah, but I'm just saying, like, you know, why don't you start us off? Lead off. Okay. Um. Yeah. Can you can you explain me what the difference is between a closed statement and an open statement? An open statement is, or at least, I'm sorry, I didn't say that right. Not an open statement, an open truth. I'm sorry. Um, so what I mean by like a closed truth is, well, it's a settled issue. It's now, as a result, 
it was once open, meaning it could have the truth of the the value of the truth there was changeable, meaning it hadn't been decided yet. But now, as a result of other factors, whether that be a choice from God, a choice from man, or something natural, it's become closed. As a result, now it's settled. That's really all it is, is open is unsettled, closed is settled. And settled in the sense of necessary, like that it can't be otherwise? I mean, I would argue to an extent that things would become that way over time, sure. Because, I mean, as a result of man's choice to sin, now he can no longer access the Garden of Eden. Okay, so in what sense then can in what, what you would say an open truth, I suppose, in what sense could that be known at all? Um, could you rephrase the question? I'm sorry. So you said that uh, there are some truths that are open in the sense that their truth value has not yet been settled, right? Right. They haven't been determined yet. And you say that God knows these. He knows it as an open truth. Like he knows that, like basically he, he knows it as a possible truth rather than knowing it as an, rather than knowing it as a settled truth, basically. He knows that it could happen, but doesn't know that it necessarily will. It seems to me that it's just wrong to refer to that as a truth then, because a truth is a proposition which corresponds to a fact, right? And it seems like you're saying, well, no, this is a proposition that might correspond to a fact, but it doesn't actually correspond to a fact at this time. And so if it's not actually corresponding to anything, it's just not a truth. It just seems like that's an unclear term to me to say an open truth. It would seem like more like a proposition that has an open value to it. It's a proposition which perhaps at some point could be true. And maybe you want to say that God knows that this proposition could be true. But it, it's just, to me, it seems very confusing to refer to something as an open truth. that it, That's not actually true. Okay, fair enough. I could have been a little bit more clear on that. Basically, no, I that's, just that's say, that's yeah, fine. like... I just wanted to make sure I understood you. Okay, fair enough. Um, now that that's cleared up, uh, do you want to, do you have a question? Well, yeah, I just, I, yeah, I, I wanted to be um, clear on, on that. Um, uh -huh. see, I think I did. Um, okay, well, it was related to this. Um, so I was going to ask, like, what parts of the future does God know? And you're going to say those are the ones that have a settled truth value. Those, those are the parts of the future that God knows. Those are the parts that God does have certain knowledge of. Now, the parts that are open, which, of course, since I'm not God, I have no idea what's open and what's not. Whatever he, whatever is open, he doesn't have certain knowledge of, but he has, but he knows what is potential, what is most likely, what is least likely, etc. But he does not know it with certainty which one will happen. Okay, yeah, that that's what I, that's what I thought your position was. I just, I wanted to be clear on that. Um, okay, fair enough. Okay, so you once told me you didn't see a difference between certainty and necessity. Um, do you still think that the two are the same, or uh, no? It can, it kind of depends on the context. There are times when they can be different, 
and there are times when they're pretty much the same. What so would it really be an depends example on the, of the time when they're the same. Well, personally, I would say like this is like I know that people talk about personal. I'm sorry, possible worlds. Like you know, this is possible in that possible world. Like when people use the ontological argument. I mean, I'm not saying this is a good argument. I'm just saying like. People say because God exists in some possible worlds, he exists in all possible worlds. Well, damn it. Dang it. I lost my train of thought. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, you're good. Sorry, I, I was I just asking you. What was the question again? I, I was just asking you if uh, you thought the certainty and necessity were uh, the, the same thing or if you oh, could see right, a difference. Right. And you, said, you said that in some context, you think they are the same. And so I was just asking for an example of when you thought that the two were the same. Well, in the context of what's going on with God, like if God's knowledge is certain of it, you said that God does have the potential to be wrong, but is never actualized, right? Yeah. Well, but the thing is, I mean, I would argue that omniscience is something that's kind of needed for God to be God. If God wasn't omniscient, we wouldn't call him God. But I'm, I'm sorry, I'm trying to get this straight. Trying, I'm, not, I'm not trying to waste time here. I'm just trying my best to explain this the best way I can. Um, basically, I would just say that because God's knowledge is certain, and I would argue that omniscience is a necessary component of God, I would argue that if his knowledge is certain of it, well, then for him to possibly be wrong, well, then it kind of makes it possible for him to not be God. So I would just say just because he's omniscient that's a necessary thing for him if he's certain of it it must be necessary as well that's really it i'm sorry yeah so i'm just trying to understand you here so the the argument is that if god's um knowledge is not certain or rather if um it's possible that god's beliefs could be wrong then he would not be omniscient so it's therefore possible for him to not be omniscient and so it's therefore possible for him to not be god since uh being god entails omniscience that that, that fair statement of the argument in a sense yeah because i would argue that for god to be god he must be perfect in every way perfect in knowledge perfect in power perfect in love you know more perfect in morality and everything and to say now, even though I do affirm dynamic omniscience that God's knowledge is contingent on reality, you know, uh, yeah, basically. Yeah, I mean, it, it just seems like what if we could, you know, then say, all right, so what What? what if the view that I affirm is true? And is the being that I identify as God, you just don't think that's a fitting title for God, even though, you know, God exists necessarily, he's omniscient. Or rather, well, 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 we won't say omniscient, but he's all powerful. That he's uh, omnipresent. He has those sorts of attributes. But because, because, um, you know, on this, this sort of, what I see is basically being a technicality based on the possibility that he could not be omniscient. Um, you know, not that he ever actually is. He is on. Um, he is in fact omniscient. But because he could possibly not be omniscient, he would therefore not qualify as God. I mean, like, like, it well, let's say it I convince you my position is right. Would you be an atheist? 
Hmm, probably not. I don't think so. I mean, because honestly, it's like really the only thing that would convince me that Christianity is false is if someone could bring me the body of Christ. But so probably not. But I mean, it's like I'm not saying you guys are preaching heresy or anything. I just think, you know, if we kind of go down the rabbit hole a little bit, it could make it possible for God to not be God. And that's, I would argue, because God is a necessary being, it's logically impossible for him to not exist. Then where's the logical contradiction but, in saying that God does not exist? Well, uh, obviously he has to either exist in no possible worlds or he has to exist in every possible world. But obviously I'm presupposing that God does exist. But I'm saying this view kind of makes God contingent rather than necessary. So... No, it, it makes his knowledge. It makes it makes the content of some of his knowledge contingent. It doesn't make God's being contingent. And I would argue that God's contingent knowledge is contingent on reality, but dynamic omniscience is like it it avoids necessitarianism because it doesn't make the facts themselves necessary, but it also prevents God from ever being wrong because you know the as a statement's truth value changes his knowledge of it changes but anyways i'd like to move on to another thing i'm curious about okay. um do you believe god um knows the future is epistemically settled if by epistemically settled you mean epistemically certain yes did god decree this settled future uh, depending on what you mean by decree, if you're using that as like a synonym for determine, then no. Right. Okay. So he did not determine it to be that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I okay. don't believe so, in determinism. Right. Me neither. Um, but the question is, how exactly is God free in a settled future he doesn't decree? why what where, where's the challenge where where's like the tension between god being like, free while knowing the future well obviously god's knowledge is grounded in something right facts uh-huh and you said that he doesn't decree it meaning he doesn't determine it which i agree with but if the future is epistemically settled what is god's like epistemic um what is his knowledge of this epistemically settled future grounded in exactly? The facts of the future. Okay. Um, that's a weird way to put it. Well, I mean, just in my view, so knowledge, if we're saying what is something grounded in, so let me back up a little bit yeah. and kind of get an explanation on what I take the metaphysics of kind of truth and knowledge to be. So, um, I take the traditional definition of knowledge as justified true belief, uh, and I take uh -huh. truth to involve a correspondence relation between a proposition, a belief, and a fact. So when a belief corresponds to a fact, sure. it is true. And so when we're saying what is something grounded in, um, I basically take that to be asking, what does that belief correspond to? What is making it true? What's the truth maker of that belief? And on the account, I accept that's that's fact. So if we're saying what is God's knowledge grounded in, that is what is making it true, then it's going to be facts. Now, there's another way to use grounding uh, that's in an epistemic sense. You could be asking what is the justification for God's beliefs, right? Not, not what is the truth makers of God's beliefs. So 
those will be different answers. I think that uh, God's knowledge is sure. true in virtue of the facts to which it, it always corresponds to the facts. Uh, if we're going to ask what is God's justification for believing that these propositions correspond to these facts, then I'm going to have a different answer for that. Um, you could have been asking either. I, I interpreted you as asking kind of what what are the truth makers of God's beliefs. Right. Um, something like that. But I think I had a better question in mind in that case. I don't think I phrased that one quite right. Um, okay. Here's the, the better question, I think, um, like, is this. So you just said that you believe that knowledge is a justified true belief. And you said earlier that. Um, dang it, I lost my train of thought again. When I do that, you believe that God's just belief. Okay, and you said that you believed God could do differently than what He foreknew in DMs and in other issues. Yeah, God has the ability to act other than He uh, foreknows or believes that He will act. Okay, so let's suppose that He did do differently than what He foreknew. Well, then, if He did do differently than what He foreknew, then it's not really knowledge because then by contradicting what he foreknew, it's not a justified true belief. And so by doing differently than what he foreknew, actually it's a false belief rather than knowledge. Wouldn't that yeah, be the if case? That happened, if that happened, that would be, um, then yeah, then God would not be omniscient. In my view, it is also part of my view that that never happened. So while this possibility exists, it's never actualized. So it's also part of my view that uh, things never actually go differently than God believes that they will happen, even though that possibility exists. So omniscience is just not challenged on my view, because though it acknowledges this possibility in virtue of the fact that we as agents have the ability to act differently than we do, that's why that possibility exists. Um, that possibility is never actualized. So it's not in fact the case that God is not omniscient. Um, okay. Do, I mean, I've got other things, but I want to make sure you also get questions in too. So do you have any other questions no, you want to ask as well? I had a sure? few here. Yeah, I had a few questions related to, uh, basically, um, some problems I think you face if you want to say that God's knowledge is necessary, which, you know, kind of in our private messages, you seem very strong on that, but it, it seems to me that you kind of clarified that you do think some of the content of God's knowledge is uh, contingent, at least with respect to its truth value. So kind of a lot of these questions, I think, just aren't, aren't going to apply to the position that you're um, defending in this debate. So yeah, feel free if you've got right. further questions. Like, while I do believe that omniscient is a necessary key to God, the thing that I think, like, because originally how I said it, yeah, okay, that would kind of entail necessitarianism. But dynamics, as I said, I think is the view that avoids it, but also makes it impossible for God to be wrong while also avoiding determinism. So that's just my view. But if you don't have any other questions, I have a couple other things I'd really I, love to discuss as well. I, I might have one further question and then I'll turn it over to you. Is that fair? Yeah, 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 go ahead. Absolutely. Can I ask why it's so important to you that it be impossible that God could be like, why is it not enough that God never is wrong? Why does it have to be that God could not even possibly be wrong? Like, I, I don't I don't see why that's so important to you, because like you're saying, look, my view gets me this idea where God is never wrong. It's at the expense of him not knowing a whole bunch of the future. But I get this benefit of, you know, God never, you know, actually even possibly being wrong about what he believes. 
Well, an advantage of my view, as I see it, is I get God is able to know the future, uh, and he's never actually wrong. And you're like, yeah, but you have to ha embrace this possibility that God could be wrong, possibly. And I'm like, okay. And I, I, I don't see the problem there. Like, why is that such an advantage in your view? Why is it so important to you that it not even be possible that God could be wrong? Uh, that's a good question. And I will say you're more consistent than William Lane Craig because William Lane Craig would not admit to this problem. Because, like, if I pointed this out to him, and I think I did once, like, but he didn't really admit to the problem. But, yeah, the thing I say is the reason why I think it's important is because if it's impossible for God to be wrong, then you can be certain that he will o that he'll always know what's best. But the thing is, um, when I was at a safety when I was in a safety meeting one time, we had this quote called because like the way you say it is like it's never. Do you believe because he's never been wrong in the past, we have a good reason to think he won't be wrong in the future? Um, that would be an inductive argument for it. There, there's further arguments I could give, but that's one argument you could give. The thing I would say is this is the quote of complacency. And, and we all know complacency is not exactly the most reliable thing. Just because a driver in the past has, like what I'm, like I'll even give an example for my job. Just because a driver has been texting and driving and has never caused any problems, that doesn't mean he's not going to one day kill someone. So it's like, yeah, maybe God's never been wrong in the past, but it doesn't inductively follow that because he's never been wrong in the past, it doesn't give us a justifiable reason to think he never will be. So wait, do you, do you think that induction is not a valid inference form? I never said induction wasn't valid. I said I don't think that it that that's a valid induction or deduction, however you put it. Like what do I don't think, think that's a valid is? conclusion. Well, but in the end, like I said, I could use that same argument to say that a driver has been texting and driving for months and so there and so that gives me reason to think it'll never happen. It's just no, anyways, because the point you've, got, is, you've, got, you've got additional inductive evidence that people who text and drive frequently do get an accident. So you've got inductive evidence um, that there actually is a strong possibility that the person who texts and drive will get in an accident because we have an inductive sample that this will frequently happen. This is more analogous to saying that somebody uh, who um, you know is, is wearing a hat, for example, uh, won't get in an accident or something like that. Uh, some, something that's not directly relevant. But we've got uh, we've got strong inductive evidence that people who text while they drive more frequently get in accidents uh, than people who don't. So uh, there's inductive evidence against that hypothesis. Well, yeah, but the problem is I know people personally who have done that and they've never hit anybody. And so that's why I say it doesn't into it doesn't actually follow sure it may be more likely or more or less likely but in the end you know i would say if we can't really be for certain that god will never be wrong well then i would say that you know it just doesn't really make him too much more reliable than your average man do you but think that, i guess that's certain? just why i do you think I don't be think certain that God exists? Well, we can't be, but in the end, you know, you can't really trust God. In, okay, let me re, let me rephrase it. You, I don't think you can trust God much more than you can man if God could be wrong. 
So I guess that's kind of why I think it's important is because I would, it helps. I think it's not only scripturally true, but it also logically makes sense that God would be more reliable than man. But if he could be wrong, what makes him more reliable than man? Yeah, the fact that he never actually is. So acknowledging the mere possibility that God could be wrong is not in itself any reason at all to think that he actually is, right? I mean, like, you know, it, Maybe it's not possible that we... It's possible that we live in the matrix, right? But we don't we don't actually have any reason to believe that just because it's it's possible, right? It's possible that like my girlfriend is cheating on me right now, but like that doesn't make it probable. It doesn't mean I have any reason to like actually believe these things just because there is this bare possibility of it. Similarly with but, God, I, I don't see why like it's a challenge to his reliability just because we acknowledge this bare possibility that you could act differently than he believes you will act. Well, um, hey, Marlon, how much time do we have left? We have about 19 minutes left. Okay, thank you. Um, well, then, actually, I would say even if you, even then, you know, we still can't even be for sure he hasn't been wrong in the past either because what do we really know about history? And what do we really even know about God's knowledge. I mean, even in dynamic omniscience, we still believe that God's knowledge is incomprehensible. It's not, you know, completely understandable or whatever to the human mind. So even then, if God could be wrong, how do we know in the past he hasn't been? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see why you how you would get out of that problem either, right? How do you how would you know that God hasn't been wrong in the past on your view? Because dynamic omniscience allows God's knowledge to change as a truth value changes. Your view doesn't. Um, well, I mean, I don't I don't think that the truth value of prop well, of, of tenseless propositions, I don't think that they're truth value changes. Uh, but that's just saying, you know, on that view, uh, if that view is correct, right? But I don't see that on your view, you've got a way of ruling this out either. Because if we're just going to say, I can assume my view, on my view, God has never been wrong. God never will be wrong, right? But if you're saying, well, what's our justification, though, for believing that God has never been wrong? It's not clear to me you have any better justification for this than I do, right? Other than just by I assuming disagree. your other other than just by assuming the dynamic omniscience view. But if you can do that, I can just assume my view and be like, well, yeah, in my view, God is never wrong either. Well, but I can explain why, though, because dynamic omniscience allows God's knowledge to change and it allows him to say, okay, this view, this thing was, uh, the statement that Josh believed in original sin was once true, but it no longer is true because now I don't believe in original sin. I don't believe in total depravity and all that. The truth matter of that no longer changes. I mean, is no longer true. So as a result, God now knows that statement as a false statement rather than as a true statement. But anyways, there's more I'd like to get into, but. That's fine. I'd say, I'd say um, my view acknowledges that as well, but yeah, sorry, go ahead. If you, if you had something you wanted to ask. It's okay. I mean, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I think my view is more flexible, but that's anyways, moving on. Um, do you believe God's knowledge is falsifiable? Uh, can you explain what you mean by falsifiable? Like falsifiable, like it could like it could be incorrect or someone could prove it incorrect or something. 
which sort are we talking about knowledge of or let, let knowledge by definition is true so let's let's instead speak in yeah. terms of god's beliefs but let's say uh do you think are you asking if i think that god's beliefs about the future can be wrong sure yeah i believe that the possibility exists that what god believes will happen uh that it it is possible for things to happen differently than God believes that they will, though I don't believe that it ever actually is. I do believe that God's beliefs always um, match up to the way things actually um, occur. Do we lose Josh? Hey, Josh, you there? Yeah, I I'm still here. Like I said, unfortunately, okay. you know, I don't have my laptop. So unfortunately, I kind of have to use my phone notes. There are probably going to be times in the whole thing where my screen goes black for a second, unfortunately. All right. So sorry. Okay, no I problem. Um, so if God's now, if that's the case, then wouldn't that entail that God's knowledge is contingent on things outside of his view on outside of him? Yeah. So then wouldn't this be affirming dynamic omniscience? Like I believe because God's knowledge is grounded in reality. No. Why not? Only, 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 said... only, if you de only if you define dynamic omniscience the way that, you know, somebody like Chris Fisher will, which will say that if you think God's knowledge is like innate or you think God's knowledge is not innate or something like that, then you're like, you've affirmed dynamic omniscience. But like, I, I, what, what I disagree with is the idea that there are things in the future that are unknown to God. That's the central thing to me. I don't believe there's anything. Uh, I don't think that there are any future tense propositions that are unknown to God. If like whatever else you want to get into and say, well, you know, you believe God is inside of time or you believe that, you know, the future is not settled or whatever. Um, fine. That's not what I understand, like kind of the, the controversial point to be. The controversial issue is whether the future is known to God. I think that the entire future is known to God. If you want to say that's compatible with dynamic omniscience, fine. But it almost like it's almost not helpful at that point because it's kind of muddying the waters. I mean, there's some people that you've even said yourself, like there's a view of open theism that's compatible with B theory. And I think your view would kind of have to entail B theory in order to avoid determinism. But do you affirm B theory? I tentatively lean towards A theory. Um, my my views on philosophy, or I should say, I'm not really particularly well read in philosophy of time. Uh, a theory is more intuitive to me. A theory is kind of what what just seems true, um, and from what I understand, it's you know defensible sure. from philosophers like William Lane Craig. But I mean, I couldn't sit here okay. and dogmatically be like, yes, A theory is true, and here's why. But if you're going to ask me what do I believe, I'll, I'll say I believe the A theory. Okay, um, in that case, since you don't affirm B theory, then the problem I was going to bring up doesn't apply to your idea. Um, well, you did say you think those so you said that, determinism with A theory, though, right? Well, I think it logically entails it. I mean, I don't think you're going to like be in trouble with God for affirming it. But logically, I do think it does. Okay, I was just going to see if you wanted to pursue that line of reasoning. If you had something else you wanted to go down, that's fine too. I was just, I was kind of curious how you got to the view that um, simple foreknowledge plus a theory gets to determinism. But you, you can chase something else if you wanted to. 
I mean, my my idea on that is a little bit self-explanatory to an extent. I just don't think that, you know, God can do differently than what he foreknows without compromising his omniscience. But the thing I'm curious, because the thing I'm kind of more um, disagree, I think you and I disagree the most on is this idea that God could be wrong. I think that's probably the thing you and I kind of disagree on the most almost. And... And so I am curious. You said that God could be wrong. Does he know that he could be wrong? Yes. Okay. If God knows that he could be wrong, um, how exactly can he be confident in his knowledge of a settled future in which he knows he could be wrong? Isn't that kind of the definition of unsettled? Um, let me see if I... If I'm following the question correctly, it's if there's a possibility that God could be wrong, then how can he um, know that he never actually is? Is that, is that the question? Right. Like, basically, how can God be confident in, in his knowledge of a settled future in which he knows he could be wrong? Wouldn't this kind of okay. be basically how does God have settled knowledge of an unsettled event? Okay. Let, let, let me try to read. Let me try to reinterpret the question and see if if I'm, I'm tracking with you is the question basically what is god's justification for his knowledge of um future contingencies are you asking basically what what is the reason that justifies god's beliefs like how can he be confident in it if he could be wrong even though he views it as right. settled? Our, our, our confidence arises from our reasons or our justifications for beliefs, right? That that's that's the grounds of our confidence. So I'm trying to interpret your question. Are you asking what is the justification for God's beliefs in my view? Because that's going to be the grounds of God's confidence. I'm asking like, what is God's like? How is He confident if He could be wrong in a settled future? Like, right? Not so are you are you asking are you asking what his God. reasons are? Are you asking yeah. what his reasons what are, are for holding these beliefs? Right. What, are, what would his okay. reason be for being confident if he could be gotcha. wrong in a settled issue? Okay, so um, I do have a theory of omniscience, how God um, has um, certain knowledge of these things. And I want to be clear that this is just a theory. So I don't actually claim to know for sure how it is that God knows what he knows. Sure. But I do have, I do have a theory on that. Um, and it plays off of kind of my own views and epistemology i don't want to get too technical here um because this no this is not an epistemology debate but just very briefly um i'm a classical foundationalist so i hold that we've got two different types of beliefs we've got the um beliefs that we infer from other beliefs and you know you can only go down so far till you get to these uh certain foundations and so i think that our foundational beliefs we know those with certainty and the way that we know those with certainty is uh, through what philosophers are going to call a direct acquaintance with the facts that make those beliefs true. And uh, I take acquaintance to be an infallible justifier of beliefs. So to give an example of this, uh, right now, I, well, I'm saying right now I have an infallibly justified belief that I have a computer screen in front of me, um, or that, rather that I have a visual perception of that. Uh, and I would say, though it's not impossible, right, that, that like things could have been different. I could have been, um, you know, sleeping right now, for example. So, you know, it, it's not it's not necessary. It's a contingent belief. 
but it is a certain belief. And it's certain in virtue of this acquaintance relation that holds between me and um, the fact that I have this particular visual experience. I think something similar is going on with God. I would want to say that God is acquainted with just all facts. And since acquaintance is an infallible justifier of beliefs, God is going to be um, have an infallible justification for all of his beliefs. So as applied to the future, God is acquainted with all future facts. And so it would be in virtue of that, that he has infallible justification for believing um, for all of his future beliefs. I'm sorry if that was a little um, too technical. That's just, that's my theory um, on how God knows. Uh, could you simplify that a little bit? I'm not as educated in philosophy as you are. I, I hear. I'm um, sorry. So basically, you're good. You're good. I, I think in terms of maybe aware an awareness of something, just direct awareness. God is directly aware of all facts, uh, and this sort of awareness that I'm calling acquaintance, um, it, it can't be wrong. You can't um, you can't be acquainted with something unless it's there. So God, or you can't be aware of something unless it's there. So God is aware of all facts. And so uh, it's in virtue of that uh, awareness that he has an infallible justification for um, all of his beliefs. So I'm just going to say, because it's a guarantee of truth, this type of awareness that I'm talking about, uh, this is the grounds of God's confidence for his beliefs. It's just his direct awareness of all facts. Okay. Um interesting uh and do you have to clarify anything again? else that, well do i just want to say that, that you want to like I, i'm sorry go ahead yeah i just wanted to reiterate that is just a theory i don't claim to know for right. sure that that's how god knows things but i think this is a theory which would sure. explain how god could be um absolutely confident in everything that he believes will come to pass despite the fact that these um could happen otherwise god nevertheless knows with certainty uh how it will occur um okay i'm not gonna lie that all that kind of went over my head a little bit because I'm, I'm not I'm sorry, educated. I really didn't want to get technical. No, no, it's okay, man. I, I totally get it. I'm just saying I don't entirely understand your answer, so I don't really have an answer right now. But uh, how much time is left, Marlon? Uh, yeah, about six minutes left. Do you have anything you want to bring up? Because I don't want to be the only one asking questions unless you act if you have something that is. No, I mean, that's, that's, um, fair. Do, do you still think that I'm, because I kind of didn't want to hit on this point where you say I'm believing something that's contradictory. Um, you know, what, what, so let, let's get a clear example of a contradiction just on the table, right? If we say that Jack is both married and that Jack is not married, right? Not married. clear case of a contradiction right. there. Clear um, case of a contradiction. Right. You say that my position entails a contradiction. So kind of what is the proposition that I'm saying it is this way and it's also not that way? I'm like, like what is the contradiction in my view? I guess yours is a little bit more consistent than other people's because you admit that God could be wrong. So you're a little bit more consistent than other people. But then, I, like I said, I just think it entails a completely different problem, if that makes sense. Like... If you would like, if you didn't admit that your 
view entails God couldn't be wrong, then that's probably the argument I would use against you is that like your idea entails God could be wrong. But since you admit this logic, but since you admit that logical conclusion, my, my other idea would be basically, like I said, you know, if God could be wrong, well then, you know, I, I didn't really entirely understand your answer and I'll probably have to go over this with another guy to get a better understanding of it. Um, but I'm still not quite convinced that God can know the future with absolute, with like certainty, however you define that in, and then, you know, actually have a meaningful ability. Like you said that God could change the future, but then you said that if God did actualize a change different than what he foreknew, it would be a contradiction. But I don't know. It's like when, it's like when someone like James White argues that secondary causation allows for determinism and free will to, I mean, allows for determinism of God to, you know, make him not the author of sin. It doesn't really seem to be a very valid point. It's like, if you can't act on the ability without causing a contradiction, then it doesn't make sense to say you actually have the ability or freedom to really do it. I guess that's really my con problem is I think that's the contradiction, I guess. What what contradiction do you think would follow if we were to say that God, um, if we were to, let, let's say that God acted on his ability to do differently than he knows that he will do, right? What, what contradiction do you think is entailed by that? Well, because in, well, in my view, it would be different because he foreknew that it could potentially happen, but in your view, it would, you had said in the DM that it would be a contradiction. You said that like, because then you'd have to affirm that God, that God foreknew event E will happen, but then that God has made it to where event E will not happen. So, well, then, then I would just say he just didn't foreknow it. He, he believed it in advance, but again, knowledge, knowledge entails truth. So, uh, but there wouldn't be a contradiction on this view. We would just say that God had a false belief about what he was going to do. That's not a contradiction. Well, but, that's a theological problem, but that's not a contradiction. But the problem is, you know, that is a contradiction because you said he could do differently than what he foreknew. But no, no, that, if, then he but believed if he, he would. And and you say that you believe that he never will. I I get that, but like I said, you know, it's kind of like the secondary causation thing with determinism. I think it's a bit of a moot point. Because I don't think it really fixes the problem because, like I said, if he can't actually do differently than what he foreknows without causing a contradiction, which is that he knows that event E will happen and then has made it to where event E will not happen, well then, if he can't act on it without causing contradiction, then it doesn't make sense to say he actually has the power to do it. That's I think, the problem I, think, I have. I think my point here was that... Um, it's only knowledge in virtue of the fact that it is true, right? God only knows that he's going to act this way in virtue of the fact that it's true that he does this. In the event that he doesn't, in the event that he acted on his ability to do otherwise, it no longer would be the case that he knows this, right? It would only be the case that he believes he's going to do this. So God would be acting differently than he believes, not differently than he knows. And there's no contradiction there. I, I don't see any contradiction whatsoever but, in saying that God held a false belief about the future. It's only a contradiction that, to try to find his knowledge. 
But in the end, you know, if it could be wrong, then that means it's a potentially false statement, meaning it's unsettled. It, and if it's potentially false, well, then God should know it as potentially false, therefore dynamic omniscience. So that's just what I'm seeing so far is I just think that it seems like almost every view can logically be concluded to entail dynamic omniscience, including what you said there. If God's knowledge could be wrong about it, well, then, you know, you'd have to say that it's potentially false. And if it's potentially false, God has to know it as potentially false. Otherwise, you know, that's the best way he remains omniscient without comp having the ability to compromise it obviously. And, and so I would say your own view in the sense kind of entails dynamic omniscience. As long as, in my view, God still knows the entire future, then, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily matter to me what label you would want to put on it. Um, it seems like it stays intact. All right, guys. That concludes the 40-minute open discussion. Uh, I was really enjoying it. Uh, obviously, there are many areas where I was grinding my teeth and wanted to become a debater real quick but you know i i i i, I backed <laughs> off i backed off <laughs> no good job guys i appreciate you guys great candor and respect for you guys have for each other so now we're going to transition to five minute closings then we have some q a so audience make sure you get your questions in because i would like to have a very healthy 30 minute q a for these guys all right so uh, that's it david you're up first for your five minute closing and i'll start your time and you begin to speak all right. Well, in this debate, I've defended two main contentions. Uh, first, the arguments to the effect that one cannot have free will if their future actions are already known with certainty do not succeed if we accept that the content of God's foreknowledge of future free actions is contingent. Second, that the elimination of contracausal free will follows from a rejection of the thesis that the content of God's foreknowledge of future free actions is contingent. I don't believe that either of these contentions has been successfully refuted. Uh, and so as such, we can confidently answer the debate question affirmatively. Yes, God can know the future and retain contracausal freedom. Let me just quote uh, or close rather with the words of Norman Schwartz, who writing for the Internet Encyclopedia of Philosophy in an article titled Foreknowledge and Free Will said, quote, once the logical error is detected and removed, the argument for epistemic determinism simply collapses. If some future uh, action or choice is known prior to its occurrence, that event does not thereby become necessary, compelled, forced, or what have you. Inasmuch as its description was, is, and will forever remain contingent, both it and its negation remain possible. Of course, only one of the two was, is, and will remain true, while the other was, is, and will remain false. But truth and falsity per se do not determine a proposition's modality. Whether true or false, each of these propositions was, is, and will remain possible. Knowing whether by God or a human being some future event no more forces that event to occur than our learning that dinosaurs lived in what is now South Dakota forced those reptiles to take up residence there. All right. Uh, thank you, David, for that closing statement. All right, Josh, you're up next for your five minute closing. And I will restart your time when you begin to speak. 
<clears throat> okay. Um, so I would say that this has been very fascinating and there's been some interesting points came from my side and came from his. And I would say this has been edifying in many ways. The thing I would say, however, is like I said before, and it seemed like he conceded this idea at the end of the discussion was that, you know, he didn't, it didn't really matter per se. And that's okay. Cause you know, we're both Christians here. We both believe God knows all things and so forth. And this is just a friendly disagreement. But of course, the thing is, as I mentioned before, it seems like if it's possible for something that God foreknows to be right, I mean, I don't believe this even as someone who affirms dynamic omniscience, but the way I see it, if something could be false, God should know that it could possibly be false. So in a sense, that still isn't meaning God's, God's knowledge of it is on Or God has the knowledge of it known as an, un, as an unsettled issue. And so therefore it would still entail dynamic omniscience. So I could argue from that, that simple foreknowledge entails my view in some ways. And of course, another problem, I lost my train of thought. What was I going to say? Never mind. I lost my train of thought. Dang, nabbit. Where was it? Oh, right, right. So basically, if some, if if God knows that something will happen, or it's like it's a settled issue. Well, then, if you say that it could be different, but then you say that it's possible for it to be wrong, can something that has really no possibility of being different because we believe God's knowledge is certain? If we believe it's certain, can you really call it a possibility if it's actually, if it's odds of it becoming real are zero? But I guess that's the that's a that's a question I'll leave it with, and I think I'm good for now. All right, good stuff, guys. Uh, let me get this time off the screen. Uh, all right, thank you for those closing statements, and now we're going to transition to the Q and A. So we do have some questions here. We actually have one super chat here uh, coming from Israel, Mr. Israel, and it should pop on the bottom of the screen here. All uh, right, so the ten dollar super chat. Thank you, Israel. Appreciate it. And it says from it says a uh, question for both. Premise one: Libertarian free will is either ordered or not ordered. A or not a. Premise two: Libertarian free will is not disordered. Randomness is impossible. And C: Libertarian free will is ordered if ordered wouldn't God wouldn't God know what order he put put and thus know the future. You guys understand that question? No, not. Really. <laughs> I don't know what he means by order. <laughs> I don't actually understand the question. If you guys want to take a crack at it, what you guys think he might implying, or what do you think he might be getting at, that's fine as well. It it, I it have seems no based based on the conclusion, I think he's trying to put an argument forward that God would have to know the future. But I mean, I know Israel, and I know he doesn't believe in libertarian free will, so. I, Initially, I thought he was trying to make an argument against it, but 
the conclusion seems to be to me that even if uh, libertarian free will is is correct, then it would still have to be known by God. That's which, of course, I would agree with. Um, that would be supportive of my position. So I think he's trying to put a challenge forward to Josh. Uh, it's supposed to be a logical argument that libertarian free will actions would have to be known. Um, but I honestly couldn't say for sure. I'm not sure what he means by ordered. All right. Any thoughts, I Josh? Mean, I mean, if David's right, like to say that, uh, to say that it has to be known, if, even in libertarian free will, um, I don't know. I I don't think it has to be known for even in libertarian free will. But in the end, I don't understand the question very well. So I'm probably not going to have a very good answer. All right. No problem. No problem. Uh, we have another. No, we actually don't have another super chat, but we do have a question here for both of you guys. And this is coming from Mr. Jeremy Wong. What's up, Jeremy? Uh, Question, what do you think about God knowing the day and hour and being self-constrained by that day and hour? Does that mean God sets and knows the future and yet isn't free to change it? You want me to take it first or you, you want to take it first, Josh? Uh, you go ahead since you're the affirmative. Okay. Actually, um, the affirmative in my... No, wait, go ahead. Go so... Ahead. Okay. Uh, I think that um, obviously it's true. Uh, well, th th I think this is an allusion to, um, is it is it Matthew 24, where Jesus says that um, nobody knows the day or the hour, but only, okay. Well, um, in any case, uh, uh, yeah, obviously I believe that God does know the day or, you know, the hour of uh, Christ's return. Um, as far as being self-constrained, it, it kind of depends on, you know, what you mean by that, right? So yes, I do think that, um, God is self-constrained, perhaps in the same sense that we would be to do something that, you know, we said we're going to do. Uh, it doesn't mean there's like some sort of metaphysical or logical impossibility where, you know, if I self, if, if I'm self-constrained, then there's not like, it's not like it's metaphysically impossible for me to, to do otherwise. So I think God would still have the ability to do otherwise. Like if he says, um, you know, he, he know, he, if he believes he's going to return at point A, he could if he wanted to change and do it to time B, he's not going to do that. I don't believe he's going to do that, but I would say that yes, God retains the ability to the extent that he is constrained. It's going to be self-constrained. And so self-constraint is precisely that it's the sort of constraint that's imposed on us by ourselves. We could just as easily, you know, remove that sort of constraint. So I don't believe saying that God has self-constrained himself to do something means that God is unable to do otherwise. All right, uh, Josh, any thoughts? Um, Self-constrained, sure. Uh, but I think self-constrained would be more fitting with my position rather than David's because if God had known it from the beginning, like since before creation, when the day, when the last day would be, well, I think this whole thing was kind of set on the presupposition of whether or not God could be wrong. If God could be wrong, Logically, David would be right. If God cannot be wrong, then I would be. But the thing I would say is, so if God could not be wrong, which I would argue, then I would say in a sense that I would say no. God would not be free to change it because then 
he would be trapped by his foreknowledge. So I would argue that God, I, and I would argue that it's like in ancient Jewish context, back then they, they gave more reverence to the father. So basically this is just saying, I take this to mean that God simply decides whenever, whenever the, the end is near. Because that's basically what they said back then. Like, only the father knows when the son's going to get his bride, but obviously everybody knew it. So I would argue that, you know, it could also simply be taken to make in 2435 in Matthew and Mark 13, 32, I think. Yeah. That that God just simply chooses. Oh, sorry. Okay. All right, no problem. Uh, all right, so next question here. It's coming from Aaron Haskins, Haskins, should I say. Uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 19-14, was God's knowledge of the future free or uh, free to be other, other, or I guess free to be otherwise, if that makes sense. I guess I need to look up the passage he's referencing here. Yeah, 1 Samuel yeah, chapter 23, verse 19-14. I need to get to the habit of when I see these questions with verses on them, I should have those quick verses ready to ready to fire off. Yeah, I can note of that. Oh, okay, okay. This is this is the this is the Molinist's favorite passage. Mm. Um. I mean, in this case, uh, well, okay, I guess they're saying God's, God's knowledge of this is not merely of the possibilities. Um, was God's knowledge of it free to be otherwise? I mean, I, I would say yes, because the people of Kilia here weren't under any obligation to, um, to kill David. Like, the people of Kilia could have chosen not to kill David. So had that been what they chose to do, then, um, you know, God's knowledge of this... Um, you know, it, it, it would have um, would have been wrong, I suppose, if they did uh, different than that. But I mean, yes, it, it's free to be other. Um, there, there's no there's no constraint on God there. All right. uh, Josh, could you read the passage real quick? It, it's just basically David going um, uh, asking um, what's going, basically inquiring of God what's going to happen if he goes to Kilia, whether the people will uh, kill him if he goes there or whether they won't kill him. And God uh, tells him that, yes, if he goes, then they're they're going to kill him. And so he, he decides not to go. That's the gist of it. I mean, sure, they could have chosen not to. I mean, I think I think you and I pretty much have the same answer to this one. Sure, it could have been different. All right. All right. Next question here is coming from Will Duffy, and this is for you, David. Uh, if knowledge must be true, then in your view, God cannot do other than what he knows, because if he did, then it would not have been knowledge in the first place. Right. If he did, then it wouldn't be knowledge. But then I would just say, yeah, God could do that. Um, I, I don't see what the issue is there. Um, yeah, if, if God does differently than he does, then whatever he believes is not going to be knowledge. That that I agree with. Uh, so if we say that it, um, it has to be knowledge independently of what happens, then, yeah, that's going to entail a contradiction. Because it's going to entail that you can have something, uh, knowledge, which is true, but can be false. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying God has beliefs about the future because these beliefs 
mirror what actually happens, then they are all true. And so it's in virtue of that that they are going to be knowledge. But uh, it is possible for things to happen differently than God believes that they will. If that were to happen, then these beliefs would not be knowledge. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Will is just misconstruing my position there. All right, Josh, any thoughts? Honestly, this is a problem I don't think really has been solved. I just don't. It just seems to say, well, yeah, God could be wrong, but it doesn't really. It's like, okay, I mean, I'm glad you admit the the logical conclusion of what you believe, but I don't think you're really solving the problem, which is that if God could be wrong, then, like I said, it just it means that we would have reason to doubt if he will be if he will be right and if he will be wrong in the future. If, I just don't think the fact that you admit that, which is good, I don't think it fixes the problem. All right. And here's another super chat coming from Aaron. Thank you, Aaron, for the super chat. Appreciate your support. Um, and Aaron, he has a very clever way of using, uh, getting what he wants to say. His question by abbreviating, using different ways of saying it. So I thought that was really clever. And so we'll see it. It says, uh, why can't God be free if there's no scenario where someone could choose contrary to what they've already freely chosen anyways the result is the same whether it's possible to choose otherwise or not he didn't say the question is two so i just obviously leave it to both of you guys um i don't know josh do you want to talk on this one first i think that one's probably to me all right you want to tackle it why can't why can't God be free if there's no scenario where someone could do could choose contrary to what they've already freely chosen anyways? But at the same time, I maybe David could explain the question better because I don't feel like I'm understanding it correctly. I think it is addressed to you, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. It's one of those ones I got to um, read carefully. Um, why can't God be free if there's no scenario where someone could choose contrary to what they've already freely chosen anyway? Um, okay, so so I think if he's saying we got some particular scenario where uh, a person can't choose any differently than what they already do, um, and I'm, not, I'm not sure if he explains why that's the case. Um, but because the result is the same in either scenario, uh, then it seems like God can know it either way, even if they can do otherwise. That's that's my best interpretation of that question. I I don't really see the problem. I'm not. I'm sorry, Aaron, but I'm really not seeing the problem with what you're trying to propose exactly. Maybe I'm just not understanding, but I'm not really seeing the problem. Yeah, I'm not I'm not understanding why it is in the hypothetical that there's no scenario where someone could choose contrary to what they they already chose to do it. I think like it, it it's like that's part of the hypothetical that needed to be set up with like some uh, some rules in play. And I'm, I'm not sure what the rules are that like are applying to the question. Yeah, let's just move on, because I don't think this is I, I don't think I'm understanding it. And it sounds like you're struggling with it, too. All right. Sorry about that, Aaron. I uh, wish we could answer that question a little more thoroughly. Um, 
We got a question here coming from Richard Ellis to David. Does the future exist? If it doesn't, then can God still be uh, uh, acquainted with it? Or in other words, how is God acquainted with the future? Okay, so this is a this is a good question um, because this is actually kind of part of why I myself have some sympathies to open theism. Uh, I affirm the A theory of time tentatively, so I don't believe that the the future exists. Um, uh, I don't believe that, uh, or at least it doesn't exist in the same way as the past and the present. In some sense, the present is like more real than the future would be my belief. So. Since acquaintance is a, supposed to be a real relation, which can only obtain between existing um, roulette, then the question is, how can God be acquainted with a fact uh, of the future when these facts don't exist yet? Because the future, if, if it doesn't exist, then God presumably couldn't be acquainted with these facts. And actually, that is the very sort of thinking which started making me um, inclined towards open theism. And I think that's a really interesting argument for open theism. Here's tentatively where I'm thinking on this. Uh, it seems to me you could have facts about the future, right? It could be a fact that a person will go to church on Sunday, right? The, the fact that they went to church on Sunday, that fact doesn't exist yet. But there could be a future tense factor, a fact um, about the future, the fact that the person will go to church on Sunday. And so I would say that God is acquainted in the present with these sorts of facts. And so it's in virtue of these facts about the future that he can know the future. Uh, I think there are almost certainly problems and difficulties with that account that I would have to flesh out. But that, that's where I'm at, at it, is I would say God is acquainted with facts that are about the future. And it's in virtue of that, that he's able to know the future by acquaintance. Good question. All right, Josh, any thoughts? I think that's an excellent question because I would agree that, like, if someone was to affirm the A theory, you would kind of have to affirm open theism unless you affirmed determinism or whatever. The only because I really don't know how God could have certain knowledge of the future in A theory without determining it. So I would argue that, in plus, this is kind of why I affirmed B-theory for a while, was to escape the problem of open theism. But then, as I saw, like I said before, well, the B-theory, not only did it not fix the problem, well, then it didn't, it just created an entirely new one. Because the, even if B-theory was true, if you're going to avoid determinism, you still have to logically put God's knowledge um, contingent on the free tr choices of man. So in, a, so in other words, it doesn't really matter if you affirm A or B theory. If you're going to affirm determinism, the only route you have is dynamic omniscience. All right, all right. And this is a, here's a clarification from Aaron. Felt kind of bad that his question couldn't really be answered. This is a clarification from him. It said, in other words, even if it's possible to choose otherwise, you still can't choose otherwise after you've already chosen. This is obvious because you can't go back in time to choose otherwise. I don't know if you guys re remember oh. his previous question. And so this is a clarification to that. Oh, okay. Okay. So I, I basically, um, yeah. Uh, so I, I think it is trying to make an analogy between choices in the past and uh, choices in the future. So basically if it was possible to do basically a choice you made in the past, presumably it was possible for you to do otherwise at the time that you made that choice in the past. And yet 
you know, we can still know that despite it being possible for you to have done otherwise. So we could extend the same sort of reasoning to the future, right? That it should in principle be possible to know something in the future, even with the ability to do otherwise. Cause like, look, it's possible for the past, apply the same reasoning to the future. Um, there are some issues with that. Um, I think either this book here or uh, I don't know if you can see it, but Metaphysics or God, Time and Knowledge, both by William Hasker. He discusses these sorts of um, scenarios and raises some, I'm not sure if I'm persuaded by them, but he raises some interesting challenges for uh, this kind of based the idea that the past is fixed and the future is not. Um, I don't have really firm opinions about that, but that, I think that's what he's trying to ask is basically if the past can be known despite having had the ability to do otherwise, why shouldn't the future be unable to be known with the ability to do otherwise? All right, Josh. That's actually something I didn't even think about. And that's something I think does make sense. I mean, if God is not free to change the past because the past is gone and so forth, well then if, well, then if the past is just as epistemically settled as the future and God is not therefore free to change the future, then it doesn't seem consistent to say that God has the power to change the future and is therefore trapped by his knowledge. So actually, I didn't even think about that, but it does make sense. All right. All right. So that is the questions that we have coming from the Super Chat. But I have a couple of questions because we have... About 10 minutes left in the Q&A, so I might as well try to use some of that time. So David, I have a, a question for you, and obviously it's concerning the topic we're talking about. How do you get around, how do you, how do you get around the issue of, because uh, I, I think I heard you mention earlier, as you were speaking to Josh, uh, concerning uh, God not determining things based off his knowledge. I think you guys sort of talked about that knowledge of the future. How do you how do you right. get around that situation? Because wouldn't you agree that God's decree flows from His knowledge? When you say when you say sorry, I guess I rephrase that. Do you do do you believe that God's knowledge flows from His decree? So, is it would you fundamentally agree with that 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 aspect first? Um, it, partially, so with, with qualification. So the simple foreknowledge okay. position differs from middle knowledge, right? Middle knowledge says that God has um, his knowledge before his decree to create. So okay. simple knowledge doesn't agree with that. God has the decree to create, and so it's on the basis of his creative decree that he um, has his knowledge. So yes, in some sense, um, it's the creative decree that forms the basis for God's okay. knowledge. Um, that does not mean for the Arminian that everything that happens has been decreed as in determined by God. It means that God has determined to create, and that includes the creation of free beings. And so that's also coming into play with God's knowledge. So I, I'm just trying to preemptively say I don't believe that God decrees whatsoever comes to pass, but his creative decree, that does indeed form the basis for God's knowledge. I mean, so, but do that, you think... I think so. I think so. But do you think his creative knowledge is intimately involved with every single action that humans humans do? Like uh, when we're talking about the crucifixion of Christ, right? Even do you, do you not think that when he created and put everything in place um, for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, do you think that everything had to play out according to his plan? Or do you think that humanity actually had the ability to throw up that plan and say, 
to, to, to where God had to sort of fandangle and change what he was going to do as it concerns the crucifixion. What, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, um, so th this is an interesting question because I'm actually perfectly okay with saying that um, that was like determined by God. Like I don't have um, any issue with saying that, that um, like if you think that that's what um, you know, certain texts and acts and stuff require us to think is that God actually worked deterministically here, overrode people's free will. I don't have any problem at all with going with that. I'm not personally sure that um, the text in Acts does require me to go that far. Um, but if I thought it did, I'm okay with saying that because uh, I don't, I I'm okay with saying God determines some things. I don't think he determines absolutely everything. Uh, as it relates to God's knowledge, I, I absolutely think God perfectly knew what was going to happen with respect to the crucifixion of Christ. Uh, so did God take away people's ability to act otherwise in that instance? Maybe he did. Uh, I, I don't actually know if scripture is um, clear enough to say that he did. But if I was forced to that conclusion, I, I don't have a problem with saying that uh, God overrode people's libertarian free will to bring about the crucifixion of Jesus. Hold on, hold on, Josh. Hold on, hold on. I got a question for you too, Josh. So hold on, hold on. All right. I just want to sort of clarify that a little bit, get that, just sort of grab some understanding there. So a question to you, Josh. All right. So from a dynamic, dynamic admissions or, you know, open theist position, you would say that God absolutely does not know the future, right? He, he has possibilities of knowing the future. There are possibilities out there, but he doesn't have an exhaustive knowledge of the future, right? He doesn't, right? Right. I deny exhaustive. However, I do believe there are certain things in the future that are closed. Like, like David said earlier, like, you know, the crucifixion, I would say, I don't believe that God like meticulously determined it. I don't think he necessarily needed to do that. Like, cause there, I can't remember what scripture it is, but like it said that, uh, there wasn't, but it said that in scripture, there was, um, an issue where it said like, Jesus spoke in parables so you wouldn't know because if you did know you wouldn't have crucified Jesus kind of thing you know what I'm talking about mm -hmm. well I, I know Jesus uh, spoke in parables at least from the Calvinist position uh, I know Jesus spoke in parables uh, so that people wouldn't believe uh, that's from our right. like Calvinist position that's how we would interpret those some of those parables especially the, the parable right. of the sower uh, over in Mark chapter right. 4 or no, Mark chapter 4 four or five, I think it's four. But anyway, he, we, we would say that, that the parables were purposely done in order to prevent people from believing. Um, so, yeah. Well, it wasn't to stop them from believing. It was to stop, it was to make sure that they would crucify Christ. Because eventually, I mean, anyways, but we're getting off the point. The point is, I would say that like, yeah, I don't believe he has like exhaustive divine foreknowledge of the future. I just believe he knows that that he knows it as what it is. It's somewhat settled and that it's somewhat unsettled. There are some things that are yet to be determined. That's basically what I believe. All right, so I guess the, the, the following question, I guess the, a follow-up question, did, did, did God absolutely know that he was going to crucify his son? Did, did the father absolutely, did, did he absolutely, from the foundation of the world, did he absolutely know that he was going to crucify his son or was it just a possibility that he was? The plan, people often bring up this like plan A or plan B kind of thing as an objection to it, but it's like, it's not really a good objection because it's like um, the plan A, the, the 
plan A was to, was for Christ to have a relationship with his creation. So was the crucifixion plan A? Absolutely not. So I would say no, that was a backup plan in case something, in case that happened, but it wasn't plan. But no, that was like a reactionary plan. God had planned it as a result of man's fall. He did not plan it from the very beginning. I don't think. All right. So <laughs> David, 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 David grinned a little bit. All right. So this is the last question I have for you. So sort of follow up to that. So when we see when we see passages like in Psalms 22, right? Psalms 22 is basically a prophecy gives detailed uh, detailed uh, information about Jesus Christ being crucified, right? right. Like detail, absolute detailed, right? So would yeah. you say would you say with that prophecy of Jesus Christ being that detailed that prophecy of Jesus Christ being crucified? Would you say that that prophet could have possibly failed and the crucified the crucifixion could have possibly not happened and thus the prophecies that come prior to that would not have came to fruition? Is is that no. your position? No, because I do believe there are some things that are settled. Like after the fall of man, the crucifixion of Christ became a settled issue. So so after the fall of man, no. Before the fall of man, yes, I would say it was unsettled. But after the fall of man, no, it is an unsettled, it is a settled issue. Okay. All right. Cool, guys. Thank you, guys, man. I appreciate it. Hoping my questions weren't hurting y'all too much. No, I know I asked some good questions, man. I know I asked some good. No, I'm messing with y'all, man. But I appreciate you guys for coming on, man. And uh, this was a fun discussion. Always interesting. Uh, you get a little bit of Bible. And you get a little bit of philosophy. And you're able to tackle the issues, man. So I appreciate both of you. And so I'm going to let you guys go. Uh, do you guys have any uh, departing words? Parting words for, the, for myself and for the audience. Um, I did have you beat in one thing, David. My beard is better. <laughs> All right, guys. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. I appreciate you guys, man. You guys go ahead and enjoy the rest of your evening. Josh, be safe out there trucking, man. Uh, and make sure you Thank obey. You. I know you're, I know the company you probably truck for got hours. You're supposed to rest. You ain't supposed to be out there driving all night yep. long. So make sure you pull that truck to yep. the side if you if you get tired and if you're experiencing high winds, man. We don't want your your your, your trailer getting tossed in the winds, man. So make sure you obey them rules, all right? I will, man. Thank you. And you guys stay safe as well, and God bless you all. All right, David, I think you muted, man. I don't know. Uh, we couldn't hear you, buddy. Shoot, you're right. I was going to say, Josh, he's saying he doesn't want this debate to be your last. Yeah, I definitely... Though this will not be my last, don't you worry. Even though I'm not sure how I feel about uh, how I did in it. <laughs> it's all good, though. It's all good. All of this is a learning process, man. You know what I mean? The more you do it, the more comfortable yeah. you get, man. And uh, once again, uh, as I always do, I always encourage the debaters to come on, man. If there's anything you walk away from these debates is that you learn something new, man. Your positions might not be changed, but you learn something new to better phrase your arguments and everything like that. So nonetheless, you guys right. have a good night and I uh, hope to be, we can do this sometime in the future. All right. All right. Yeah, have man. Definitely. All right. Later. Take care. All right, folks. Another great debate in the books and.
Uh, I really like this kind of subject. These subjects are fun to me. I really enjoy them. Uh, I think I enjoy, like this topic is so fun to me. I really enjoy the free will, you know, God's knowledge. These are things that I really have a, a fun time uh, uh, discussing. And I pray that, you know, the, these type of topics is fun for you as well. Um, and uh, that you guys enjoyed it, man. I enjoyed this, this conversation. Um, and uh, I think once again, uh, you know, when we dive into this, we want to be, you know, real careful uh, that we respect our, our, our opponents because obviously as a Calvinist, I, degree, I disagree with, with both of these guys as it concerns God's knowledge and God knowing the future, right? And so there is a respect level, even if you have a, a wholehearted, rigid disagreement, there's always a level of respect and you honoring your opponent, you're respecting your opponent, even though you disagree with them. And so I appreciate uh, David and, and Josh doing that. And I pray that my questions weren't too hard or too penetrating, uh, but I did want to get clarifications on those questions. And so I have a question here uh, where that question go? It was from, uh, oh man, I hope I can find it, man. Cause, uh, Israel posted a question about, uh, since, <laughs> oh yeah, here it is. <laughs> oh, Israel trip. He said, Marlon, since you not, since now I'm financially supporting you with super chats indirectly paying the bills, do I get a say in the Wilson's household matters? Uh, no, absolutely not. Because you're not supporting my bills, you're supporting the ministry. The ministry and my bills are separate accounts. So, <laughs> uh, Israel, you thought you had one, but you thought you had it, buddy. No, no, no. Yeah, you don't, man. You don't. But I appreciate the support, though, man. I appreciate all the guys, gals out there who are supporting the ministry and uh, uh, doing what they can to, you know, just support the ministry, man. Because anything helps, anything, anything uh, will help the ministry grow. Uh, when, when you guys support so it's always a, a great thing for to garner support from you guys man and uh, just know that the ministry funds is going to things that are going to build this ministry and make it better uh, all for the glory of God man and uh, I, I also appreciate all the moderators out there uh, Slam RN I just added you as a moderator I appreciate you for taking on the job as a moderator Jeremy Wong all you guys out there and uh, just want you guys to know that I, I'm a, I appreciate all you guys all right so that said, I am going to get out of here. And once again, I thank you guys for joining us this evening on the Gospel Truth. And hopefully there will be no more two-week layovers, if that makes sense. Two-week two week, uh, hiatus, uh, unintentional hiatuses, you know what I mean? So uh, we can be more consistent with these shows, man. When, it, when the show is down for two weeks or so, it really jack up the algorithm. It really destroys it. So I'm going to try to do my best I can to uh, do the best I can to make sure the shows are coming you know consistently so uh just be on the lookout for all the future shows all right uh because we got a big one coming up with anthony rogers and sarah from hamilton so that's going to be a fun debate so make sure you be on the lookout all right and that said i'm out of here may god bless you and may god keep you